have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation. Back to Revelation. It's in the back of your Bibles. Revelation chapter 10, verse 8 through 11. And before we do that, I meant to have you guys uh, stay standing for this prayer. But you don't have to. You can stay seated. But will you guys pray this with me and then I'll read the scriptures for us. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. Then a loud voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So here we are back in Revelation, and I was actually asked uh, by more, more than one person this week, are you excited to be back in Revelation? Are you excited to be back in Revelation after the break of uh, Palm Sunday and Easter? And the truth is, is that uh, I am looking forward to being back in the book of Revelation. Uh, the truth is, is that Jesus' life and death and resurrection and their impacts in the world are clearly seen on the, in this book. They are made uh, aware to us in the implications that come and the things that we can see. And there are some odd and difficult parts about Revelation that are actually quite difficult to deal with or to understand. Or maybe for us to even just wrap our heads around like, how does this work with grace or how does this work with God's love? But even in that, even in the questions that I have about this book, we're giving warnings that this would happen over and over and over again. And so even in this, it's like, hey, you're not going to understand everything, but I'm going to show you some things. And so we are shown that we can't know everything, but God in his infinite wisdom does show us everything that we do see. And even if it's not everything that we know, everything that we can see, we can see by the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And so we are grateful for that. And as we get back into this, just as a way of reminder of where we're at, we are in the sixth trumpet and, um, or, or of the seventh seal. So you can go back in Revelation and read where that is. And in, in, in these uh, six trumpets and seven seals, the imagery is, is rich, to say the least. It is, it is full of stuff, full of visuals. In fact, in the, uh, the kids' action Bible, like if you turn to this section... It's very graphic and very like monsters and, and huge angels. And it's very um, cinemagraphic, I guess, or something like that. It's very vivid imagery. And it's, and it's beautiful, but yet at the same time, like there's a bit of fear going on there as well. And as a way of reminder, we find ourselves with John, with the Apostle John. And he is with Jesus, who, by the way, is always with us. Amen. And, and there was just in, in, before this passage of scripture, there was this huge angel with one foot in the sea and one foot on land and his legs were like burning fire. 
This is the angel that we see here coming in. And there was a talk uh, in, in, about rainbows and like clouds and breathing out fire and all this fun stuff that like this was a real thing that even when John went up and took the scroll and said, hey, give me this scroll. Um, like that's a hard thing to do to an angel this massive. And so um, uh, then this this voice, the voice said to this voice that said to John before in, in the previous chapter of or, or section of Revelation chapter eight that we're in, the voice had just said, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write them down. This is the same voice that says, hey, take that scroll, take that scroll from the angel. And now John is in, instructed to take the little scroll and I love that fact that it says little scroll that is in the angel's hands and he does and so this the fact that it says little scroll is supposed to significant uh, be significant that if you remember earlier in revelation to talk about the big scroll like the the one that God unfurls that he can see all and know all it's not that scroll. It's a scroll with good information, but not complete information. And again, God doesn't give us the complete information. But he gives three instructions to John. And two of them we'll cover today, and one we'll talk about next week. And one is that he must take the scroll and eat the scroll. And the other is that John must prophesy. And I would say that in this situation, in this thing that we can picture ourselves as John in this situation. We, God is inviting us to picture ourselves as John and he's saying, he's calling to us and inviting us in his ways. There is no way that John survives this whole scene if he isn't willing to follow Jesus and trust him at all costs. If he isn't willing to listen to the voice from the throne, um, and today we get to do the same. We get to listen to the voice from the throne. We get to take and eat, and we get to prophesy. Again, this isn't done in just some like, oh, this is easy to do. Like John had to go grab the scroll from this angel with one foot on land and one foot on sea. And by the way, his legs were on fire. So it's done with a little bit of uh, of fear. But at the same time, like we're just going to be obedient in that. But first we see here the instructions to take and eat. And we are invited to consume the scroll as well. We are encouraged and commanded if it needs to go that far. It's an invitation, right? It's an invitation. Then we're encouraged to eat it. And then if we don't eat it, we're commanded, eat the scroll. Like this is what we do with our kids, right? Hey, I'm going to invite you guys to clean your room. And then they don't. And then guys, you know, it's a good idea to go upstairs and clean your room. Then by the, by the time they actually get up there, it's a, this is now a command. Like you must get up there and do this. It's the same thing with us. We are, we are here invited to consume the scroll. And if we do it right away, that's a good thing, right? Then we're, then we're, we're, we're good for, we know that this scroll is actually the scriptures. And when I say scriptures, I'm talking about the Bible, the old and new Testament, both of them. And they are the scrolls that we can see here. They are uh, the scrolls that John um, sees and tells us about. The scriptures, um, they do this thing. They teach us. Amen. They teach us about God's character, about his nature, about um, how, how just he is. 
and and how we're able to live with him in relationship with him. And then even in the scriptures, we're given uh, Jesus. We are seeing Jesus, uh, who is a savior unlike any other savior we've ever seen or ever will see, because he's the true savior. We've seen the New and the Old Testaments are supposed to even be seen through this Savior Jesus. They're supposed to be interpreted through the light of Christ. So this little scroll that we are given is, is about Jesus and can be interpreted through Jesus. The story of Jesus' virgin birth, his sinless life, his real death and his, and his real burial and his bodily resurrection are central to the whole of the Bible. And we can... We can put it this way. We can best see who God is in Jesus. How God acts, how God, what he does, how he reacts to different people. We can see his love and the extent that he's willing to go to rescue us. And this is why we worship Jesus. The truth is Jesus in this little scroll, Jesus claimed to be God. And we as Christians, we believe him and we follow him as God. And Jesus he does. He shows us the heart of God like none other. And so here where it says, eat, take this scroll and eat, we consume this scroll. We eat it. We meditate it on scriptures and the scroll that is offered to us. And it nourishes, it nourishes us. It seeps into us. It helps us grow more and more in the ways that God would have us grow. This book, the Bible, gets to be internalized. It is invited, it is an invitation to come into scriptures and allow it to come into us and at the same time change us. And we learn so much and the more we consume it, the more and the more we digest it and the more we let it sink into our beings, the more we are nourished by it. The scriptures become an important piece. Well, they are and they become an important piece of who we are. We, it's like we are trying to be shaped and so in trying to be shaped, we're trying to let it, this impact the way that we are shaped, to change our impulses, to change our reactions, to change our urges or our desires, and to even get down to like the core, like to help change our nerves and our neurons, the way our brain's wired, all that stuff. We are trying to take in scriptures that is offered us and let it change us. Let it change our hearts, let it change our minds, let it shape us as we try and walk with God. And as we take, we are feeding on God in a way. We are feeding on the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood because scripture teaches us that all things are to be seen from this point of view. Scripture gets into us and shapes the way we live. And when I say that, I talk about Yes, our life here at church, our life in worship, not only here, but as we go out, but it also shapes the way that we work, the way that we do our day to day. It shapes the work that we play. It shapes the ways that we give, right? And I'm not talking about just financial. I'm talking about all the ways that we give. It shapes the way that we live all our life. It shapes the ways that we parent, Lord willing. It shapes the ways that we child, like children, it needs to shape you as well and the way that you live towards us as parents. Scriptures uh, speak into this whole existence and it changes us if we let it. If we let it. If we take and eat it. And I, I do believe that Scripture can be resisted to a certain point, but it seems 
uh, or at least for a certain amount of time. But it seems, as we've seen in the book of Revelation, resistance is pointless. At the end of times, um, at the end of times, like God is imposing his will. And I'm not suggesting that we resist Scripture in any sort of way. I'm just saying that it's possible. And we need to be aware that it is possible. Because this book, Scripture, is we take it, we eat it, we feast on it. Sometimes we read it like straight through. Other times we meditate on certain chunks at certain times. But we let this book and what is in there about Jesus shape us and nourish us. In our ex- in nourish our existence, and this is a good thing. I would even say it's a necessary thing. We don't want to ignore the Bible, but we'll learn in a minute. We we also can't know everything about it, amen. And so sometimes it's a little bit difficult to understand. But as we do this, as we get into Scripture, um, it suggests that there there's some bitterness. The Scripture says that there's some bitterness as well as some sweetness. The Bible is so nourishing, but that doesn't mean it always sits well with us. Scripture is not just like a book of inspirational poetry. It it is a book that is meant to shape us. And in like shaping anything, like shaping your muscles, the muscle needs to be broken down before it can be built up. And it isn't always easy. It doesn't always feel good, but it does change us and it does shape us. For those who've read scriptures on a regular basis over any length of time, when they're honest, they admit that there is still much that they wrestle with. That is suggesting that, uh, in, in that, it's suggesting that the hard parts of scripture are eaten and digested as well. Not just the, they're not just to be glossed over, which is a way of avoiding the hard things in scripture. It's, a, it's one way of avoiding uh, consumption of the whole of text of scripture and it's a way to discard difficult parts but those who've read scripture and come about it honestly they honestly value the bible at a deep deep level and yet they understand that they're they're not going to understand everything they get though the tensions between it's as sweet as honey and all that honey is goodness but it's also sometimes bitter in our stomachs as well It doesn't always sit well with us, even though we can feel it changing us and shaping us. So the sweet, though, in Scripture is so sweet. Amen. Like the sweet in Scripture. And we learn that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to be a sacrifice for us. And, And the son loves us so much that he wasn't just like, fine, father, I'll go. He went willingly. He went willingly. And we learn that this is the God who created the whole earth and stands outside of the dimensions that we have of space and time. He is over all things, and yet he's deeply uh, knowledgeable about us, our internal nature, the hairs on our head, everything about us, even that we were knit together in our mother's womb by this God. We, and so he's over all, but he's also powerful. And we also see that just as sin entered the world, we see the extent that God's grace and his love comes in this world to overshadow all our sin, to be greater than any sin that could ever exist. And we see that there isn't any height or depth or anything that can keep us from God. And we see that when we are lost, what does he do? He seeks us out. 
This is so sweet. Scripture is so sweet that and God does this for us. And when we become found, there is a celebration, not just in heaven, not just like, oh, the angels are celebrating. No, but even on earth, people are rejoicing that people are found and that God has found, uh, well, he never lost them. He was always there, but he brings them back into the fold and we can worship and be witnessed to by them about God's goodness. We see the beauty of grace as we consume this book. Grace is one of those things where I find it incredibly simple and, and complex at the same time. We get to dive into this beauty of grace. It's a different than our world, which is tit for tat. It's different than the yin and yang and everything just flows together. It's different than what we uh, deserve, actually. This gift is free. It's unmerited favor from God. This grace is sweet and we can't earn it and we don't deserve it. But this free gift is so amazing. Even though it costs Jesus his very life, his broken body and his shed blood. In scriptures, we are told that Jesus endured this. That he endured the cross that was set for the joy that was set before him. And that was us. That he knew that we would be made close to him through his broken body and his shed blood. It says that he despised the shame, but he despised shame, his and ours. That he forgives us all of our sins and he gives us a whole life, a complete life for our messed up, jacked up one. He gives us a new family and he gives us a good, good father that is better than any father we've seen on earth. It's so sweet. Scripture is so sweet. We see the extent of God's love for us and, and we see how vast it is and how unmeasurable it is. We see and we sing about the amazing sweetness of God's grace. It is sweet going into our mouth and into our lives and it is also sweet in the retelling. It's one of the reasons why we retell the story of God's grace all the time. Like, right, we have moments of grace where we're, we're trying to retell the stories of God in our heart, in our lives, because it's sweet. It was sweet when it happened to us, and it's sweet when we get to tell others about what God has done. It is sweet to hear about love and grace and forgiveness and mercy and peace and joy and faith and hope and love. It is good to be reminded of these things. We need to be reminded of this because this is sweet. This is the sweetness that we are nourished by. But it's not just like sweet. It doesn't mean like the candies of this world, the sugars of this world that taste sweet, but then they don't really do much for us internally. Scriptures are sweet to the point where it's on our lips, it's nourishing, and as we consume, and as we ingest, and as we internalize these things, it's healthy for us. It's good for us. But it isn't just the sweet that nourishes us. The truth is, we, as sinful human beings, need to be warned. Amen? We need to be warned. We need to be corrected. And we need to be shown the harsh realities of what a godless life looks like. When we look into these things, as we being fellow humans who care for one another, right? I care about human beings. I don't want bad things to happen to anybody. Well, maybe some people, but we'll deal with that another time. There are some difficult parts of this little scroll to swallow. 
There's some real bitterness and difficulty as we get into scriptures. It's not all comfort food. It's not all just happy, happy, happy. There are some uh, verses, as this verse puts it here, there are some parts that make your stomach bitter. And I did a, a word search on the word bitter that is used here this week, and it goes into the Greek and Hebrew text and looks at all of it. And I, sometimes you look at things and you think, oh, this word is actually more redemptive than the word in English. But with bitterness, it's not. It's not more redemptive. It's bitter. It bitter. It tastes bitter. It's like it sounds with all the resentment and all the misunderstanding and all the unpleasant nature to it. This word is bitter. One of the tops on, on the list of bitters that we are constantly reminded of is that we are not God. That we are not God. We constantly fight against the desire to think that our ways are the best ways. Our thoughts are the, uh, the more correct or the right thoughts. That somehow we know better than most people. That's why we make the choices we do, isn't it? But oftentimes that includes like we act and think and direct our lives in certain ways where we think we know better than God. And we don't. We are reminded of this over and over. And even though God invites us in and gives us an important place, we are still never God. We are still never the good, good father. We are still never um, in the place of preeminence because that belongs to the one who is on the throne and to the lamb. We, we are never God. And he was and is and will be forever. And honestly, in our lives, this is a bitter pill to swallow when it comes right down to, to it. The truth is that scripture points to it over and over again that we are not God. That we can make little gods out of anything, but they're not the true God. And so we get to... Um, we get to say, you are God, I am not. And, and this is, a, as a collective, as a group, we get to say this, but individually, we get to say it as well, that we are not God. We have one God. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If he's God, then he's ruler, and he's to be over us. And I think that, um, I don't know, not everybody here bucks authority like I do, but sometimes that's difficult to swallow. Another bitterness that we have is that we have limits. We have limits to what we know and what we can know. There are some things that we simply cannot know. There are areas of this world that are sealed up to human knowledge for now and forever until God decides to reveal it. And there's also limits to human ability. And this is shown in, in you can read in the Old Testament of the Tower of Babel, where they tried to build up a, a building up to heaven to see God and to be like the gods, and they couldn't do it. it. It was not, and it is not, and it will not be possible for us to become like God. God will not permit us to get to that level. We have limits that he's set on us. We may not see the Tower of Babel, but we still see people in this world trying to outwit God, trying to out-God God in a certain way, trying to pretend that we don't have any limits, that we can know all things at all times. I mean, if you just, uh, if you just figure it out and do enough research, maybe you can figure out a way to do this, that, or the other. But I'm a firm believer that it won't work. There's some things that I think that won't work that will in the end. I know that. 
I'm not ignorant enough to think that. But we cannot out-God God. That is not what we do. We have limits placed on us. And I think as humanity, this is a difficult pill for us to swallow, but it's one where, honestly, it sits bitter in our stomachs that we can't figure out everything. Another bitterness that we have that is easy, it's easier to believe in our mind and even maybe believe in our hearts, but it's difficult to live it out, right? Have you guys ever run across this bitterness where you're like, we just learned about grace and now I'm yelling at my children. Anybody? Not just me. So I know my mom has, I know that for a fact. So, but it's difficult so we can have all our minds and our lives and everything that we are wrapped up and still miss it. When we are being honest, we can see the places where we don't actually practice everything we believe in. We all have blind spots, but even some of these blind spots, we can see them, but we can't correct them. We all have these areas where, and plenty of them, where we don't measure up. We have a certain measure of hypocrisy. Every single one of us, we have a measure of hypocrisy. When people say, well, the church is a bunch of hypocrites. Totally. We are to a certain extent. And it's difficult because we have to admit this with honesty that, yeah, you know what? We're trying though. And it's hard to live out all that we believe. And we need the bitterness of this to coexist with the sweetness of grace. Amen. That this is true, but we also need the grace of God. One more bitterness, in my opinion, is that faith hope and love are sweet on the mouth, but they can be so hard to live out. They can be so difficult. These are not always easy things. They sound easy. They sound delightful. They sound amazing, but they are difficult. It is easier to walk away or to give up on our faith than to press on and hold on in hard times to faith, hope, and love. These are things that are difficult as we are continually striving to believe. And I don't know how many times I've actually um, despised faith. I've despised hope. I've despised love because they're actually difficult to do the thing that they say that they do. It produces and it continues to pain me to a certain extent because as faith, hope, and love, I like them as a thought, but they're so difficult to to live out. And honestly, like sometimes, particularly with faith and hope, I feel crazy for holding on when there's no reason I should. It's a bitter pill. It's hard to swallow. It sits in my stomach in an uneasy way, but yet at the same time, it's nourishing and it's shaping me. And these things, faith, hope, and love, they sound amazing, but they're difficult to live out. And if you don't think so, then you can go to the hypocrisy thing that I just said above. Like, it's difficult. And I can go on and on. I think we could all actually go on and on if we sat down and thought about it, about both the sweetness and the bitterness of scriptures. And I will mention that there are elements that I've mentioned here, but there are elements that are on it. Like, if you're honest when you're reading scripture, They don't make sense. They don't make sense. We can't understand all the ways that God's justice and his love work. We can't understand why God doesn't just answer all our questions in the way that we understand. And we can't understand all of scripture. But you know what we get to do? We get to try. We get to even ingest those difficult parts 
and, and, and try and figure out, God, what, what is this? What's happening? We take the bitterness with the sweetness and we let them both nourish our lives. We take what we understand and what we don't understand and we allow that to shape us in, and shape us into more and more into God's image. And we'll take the bitterness and the sweetness because they both nourish our lives and we will live with a mixed reaction. And the fact that we, don't, we won't be comforted by all of Scripture is, is okay. John also is told here to prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And in this, we are invited to. Prophecy can have an element of foretelling or have futuristic type language, but it doesn't have to. It, it, the, the word prophecy is to tell, to reveal, to inspire or to proclaim God's message intelligibly. So to prophesy, we don't need to know everything that's in Scripture. We don't even need to know necessarily all the reasons why we believe. We don't have to have all the answers. In fact, if we admit that we don't have all the answers, that might be a good word to certain people, a truth that's actually lived out. Like, hey, I don't have all the answers. I don't even know if I can find them. And so when we prophesy, we don't have to know everything. We can simply tell others of the faith and the hope and the love that we have through Jesus Christ. This is what we found. We found Jesus. This can be as simple as saying, I don't know why. I just believe that Jesus died for my sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that he loves me. That's how easy prophesying can be. We can tell others that much. Well, why? I don't know, because he loves me and I want to love him back. And I'm going to try to live out for Jesus. It can be that simple, but it can also be as difficult as a nuanced discussion over sacrificial systems of propitiation and expiation in the Jewish traditions and how they applied to the 12 disciples and the life in Christ. We can do that or any other discussion that you want to have. Speaking prophetically doesn't have to be preaching. Doesn't mean you're always trying to convince your friends that Jesus is the best. Jesus will take care of that. To prophesy is to say this, I found Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I want to live for him. His ways are better than my ways, and I'm trying to figure this out so I can live them out in the best way that I know how. There's much in, this, in our cultures of this world that need changing. There's much to prophesy against and to prophesy about. And I believe Jesus will answer these with times and we can speak of these things from a place of love, but we get to speak about Jesus. He is our all in all. He is our everything. And even in countries that have to be careful or they'll be killed for talking about Jesus, they still speak about Jesus. They just do it cautiously. People still speak. And in this, people are still inspired and prophecy is being fulfilled through this word and through the words of the saints that speak them. So this is my simple prayer for our church this week. Let us take and eat. Let us take and consume scripture. Let it shape us. And I pray that this consumption, in this consumption, we will not remain silent. I think of it as those who run or those who do healthy eating. They can't help but not talk about it because they feel healthy for it. It's the same thing that we have with Jesus. We can't help but not talk about it. So Jesus, 
I pray that as we strive to live our lives for you, that we can take and eat of your scriptures, that we can learn from them, that we can grow from them. And Lord, that we can prophesy in your name, just telling people for the hope that we found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.